world's becoming a dangerous place for us women. Lipstick Bodyguard looks just like an innocent little lipstick, but it'll instantly drop any attacker to his knees so you can get away unharmed. Lipstick Bodyguard, fear no evil. Get yours today, only at LipstickBodyguard.com. Today's healthcare system is offering up new hope for so many, but it's not without its own twists and turns, bumps and bruises. Few know the snags and frustrations better than caregivers, but mostly their voices go unheard. One amazing organization in Ontario, Canada is changing all that. This week on Parents Are Hard to Raise, what the world can learn from Canada's premier healthcare think tank, the Change Foundation. Join 180 million monthly subscribers who can now listen to Parents Are Hard To Raise on Spotify. Welcome to Parents Are Hard To Raise, helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm elder care expert Diane Berardi. It often seems the more advanced our healthcare system becomes, the farther it strays from the old-fashioned, compassionate, personal care we all need, want, and desire. All too often, in our rush for excellence, procedure trumps purpose and caring and compassion are the casualties. By listening to patients, family caregivers, and health providers, the Change Foundation is driving a new breed of health systems one that is transforming the way care is delivered and in turn benefiting everyone it touches. In today's healthcare system, there are some of us who use change to promote their careers. And then there are those, like my two guests this week, who use their careers to promote change. Krista Hanstra is a visionary. She works with the Change Foundation in Ontario, Canada. And Carol Ann Alloway, a caregiver herself, is making sure that the voice of the caregiver is never silenced. Krista and Carol Ann, welcome to Parents Are Hard to Raise. Thanks. Thank you. Excited to be here. So I guess I'll start with Krista. Tell us about the Change Foundation and your role there. Sure. So the Change Foundation has been around for about 25 years, and we try to be one step ahead of the healthcare system and see what's coming around the corners of the healthcare system and prepare our providers and patients and caregivers for that change. So most recently, our focus has been on how to better recognize, identify, and integrate family caregivers into the healthcare team and to support them at home. So um, you started working with caregivers about five years ago? That's right. We're about four years into our five-year focus on caregivers. And you were um, speaking to them and trying to understand their experience. So what did you learn from that? Yeah, so we actually went across the province and met with about 300 caregivers in, in different parts of Ontario, urban, rural, remote settings. 
And obviously every experience is unique. Yeah. Uh, and so we heard 300 different stories, but sure. ultimately we heard kind of four common things that sort of been the driver behind our work in the last um, four years. So we heard that better communication is needed between providers, healthcare, people who work in the healthcare system yeah. and, and family caregivers uh, and between providers. So when people are transitioning maybe from their family doctor uh, to a home setting or whether they're yeah. going from hospital to home, there's a lot of times where the information falls through the gaps and the family caregivers holding that. Most information and that's very stressful yes. and um, you know this is sometimes in an emergency situation where you know this is all new and so it can be very stressful um, wanting to have some kind of assessment so not just assuming that if I'm sitting beside my loved one in an appointment that I can just take them home and suddenly do dressings or right. check their blood sugar levels yes. or whatever um, the third was recognition. So the idea that uh, people want to be recognized and identified for the role that they play and valued for that role. And then education. So again, that idea that you can't just send me home and assume right. that I know how to fix to take care of a wound or to right. change uh, a central line, you need to show me um, how to do it, um, and to make me feel confident that I can do it. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's been driving our work in the last four years. It is unbelievable. And everything you say, I've been in healthcare for 36 years, and I'm a new caregiver to my, you know, my mom and now my dad. And it hits you, it comes upon you. And there is no preparation, there is no, no training. And you know, you, you do feel that you're out there on your own a lot mm -hmm. of times. And, um, and and I think the hardest part is you're part of that patient. You know, you're part of their lives. You're part of their story. They're good and bad every day. But no one recognizes you in in the part of their their team. That, you mm -hmm. know, doctors, nurses. Yeah, and I think sometimes you know, a patient wants to put on a good face when yeah. they're sitting in front of their provider, yes. and and. You know, if you turn to the caregiver and said, well, you know, is that your experience over the last few weeks? Is that what you've seen? Or what have you noticed most about the changes or whatever? You would get a very different story because they're often the ones who are dealing with the fallout of that. And so I think it's really important to think about that recognition. I think the way that you started the show and just talking about, you know, in our rush for excellence. Yeah. We often forget about the compassion and the humanity. And at the end of the day, this is all about humans, right? Right. You're right. Exactly. And human relations. And that's what's most important. And I think that's what happens. You know, it seems people become just another number and mm -hmm. they're another case and they no one looks at that human, at the patient, you know, as a human being and the caregiver. I can't tell you how many times, you know, a son or daughter comes in with their mom or dad and they're caring for them. And the first thing I, I say when I'm teaching is, look at that caregiver. You know, you have to open your eyes not only to that patient, but mm -hmm. to that. You can just look and you can see their mm -hmm. appearance or how they carry themselves or they're dragging, you know, and Mm -hmm. I've been in a room, you know, with doctors and, and nurses and no one says to them, how are you doing? You know, so mm -hmm. this is so what you're doing is just is so vital. And and I think the thing that we kind of forget, because we're talking about humans who work in the yeah. healthcare system and those who are coming in. And I don't actually think 
it's fun for the people working in the healthcare system to not have the time or the information or the ability to help the caregiver. I think there's where they're busy. Um, The system is set up in a way to value different kinds of interactions and the focus is on the patient and the patient outcomes and not necessarily about the caregiver. So I don't actually think it's it's um, healthcare providers and professionals who are just ignoring the caregiver necessarily. I think it's that that's not what they are supposed to do, expected yeah. to do. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I also think that um, part of the problem are the metrics that are used. So for instance, mm-hmm. for a certain surgery, you have to be out in three yeah. days. You can only be in a bed for three days. And when in fact that person may not be ready to go home until five days, but the measurement is three days or someone might be ready after a day, they recover really well. So I think metrics sometimes drives what's happening and we don't look at the whole person. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, because that's what it says. You know, this this diagnosis, three days. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they don't think about the transition or that person going home, do they live alone? Do they have a support group? You know, do they have someone Mm -hmm. to get them food? Or is that daughter who's sitting beside them in the, in the appointment room living two hours away? She just happens to be here today. Yes, exactly. And that's my difficulty. I'm, I'm like two hours away. Mm -hmm. And even to a simple thing where scheduling, you know, I, I say, could you put it in my mom's system? Because they just hand my mom a piece of paper, you know, for her chemo and they give her the mm-hmm. times. And I say, mom, just take a look, just say to them, is it 11? Cause that seems, that's the best time for me, you know, or my husband to, to get her there. And, mm-hmm. and every time she'll say, no, my appointment's one thirty, And so I call and I say, okay, my mom forgets or she can't read it. And I, I call and I say, could you just put it in her, in her chart? Can you put it 11 o'clock appointment because I come from two hours, etc. Oh, well, there's nowhere to put it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes, exactly. Oh, wow. you know, I'm like, what do you mean there's nowhere to put it? <laughs> you know? Where's yeah. the, the whole section on pa- patient patient preferences that should be there? That should exactly, be front you know, and another difficulty I have, which I'm sure you're familiar with is the doctors don't call back. <laughs> like, or for mm-hmm. someone, I just, I, I called my mother's doctor. I'm waiting. He's the gastroenterologist. We emailed him. We called him. They told us email would be the best way. That didn't work a week and a half. I call back and I say, geez, you know, he hasn't responded. Maybe he didn't get it. Oh, no, he always gets his email. Okay, I'm going to call him. And he's not here, you know, and tell him to call you. And then he doesn't call back. And then you call back again and say, geez, I didn't get that call back yet. You know, and now I'm on two weeks and I'm thinking, why can't someone call back? It's just, it's terrible. Carolyn, I know that you have stories about this. <laughs> I sure do. In fact, uh, with my husband's specialist, uh, they never called back even to try and set up an appointment. So I ended up after um, months of waiting, I actually went down to the hospital and stood in front of her (laughs) desk and made an appointment. And and other caregivers would sit in the waiting room and say, well, how do you get <laughs> We're sharing our tips and I tricks know. And, there. And, you know, it's great that you did that. You had to be creative and you had to do what you had to do. But it's, you know, at the same time, it's sad that we have to do it that. It is. What a, 
well, what if I had right. small kids at home and I was working and I was looking after my parents and you had to do all this? Like it, that would just yeah, be overwhelming. And, and there's so much that overwhelms us now. Carol Ann, I saw the wish list on your website and it's fantastic. How did you come up with that? Oh, thank you. Yeah, the wish list is on the Change Foundation website. After navigating the healthcare system with my husband for five years through nine surgeries, oh my gosh. I was diagnosed with depression. And that came as such a shock because I think of myself as a pretty strong person. Yeah. After all, I survived four teenagers. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a small pity party for myself uh. for a couple of days. But then I thought, what should have happened that would have made our lives easier? So I just started to write down at every stop along the way, what could have been done differently. And I, and I had this three-page list of things that could have happened that would have changed uh, things for the yeah. better. I don't think we would have had nine surgeries. I don't think I would have gotten depression. Um, he also developed heart problems and gastro issues because of oh my this. Gosh. So I think, you know, there was a lot of things that happened as a result of this that weren't even the original cause. So it's really a practical list yeah. for healthcare professionals of what could be done to make life easier for the family caregiver. Oh, definitely. Some of the things, you know, you had on that wish list and the one that's rings true. I don't want to repeat my story again. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my gosh, that happens. Well, you can imagine through oh, nine yes. surgeries and the home care people and seeing different specialists and everything. We were telling our story all the time. I think that is the number one complaint when we talk to caregivers across Ontario. That is the number one complaint. I am so tired of repeating my story. And more importantly, yeah. what if I don't remember the most important part to the person I'm sitting in front of? Because I That's don't know. Right. I'm yeah. not a healthcare professional. It is very stressful. Super stressful. We're going to continue talking with Krista and Carol Ann from the Change Foundation. But first, if you're a woman, or there's a woman in your life, there's something you absolutely need to know. I want to tell you about my friend Katie. Katie is a nurse and she was attacked on her way home from work. She was totally taken by surprise. And although Katie is only five feet tall and 106 pounds, she was easily able to drop her six foot four, 250 pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed. Katie wasn't just lucky that day, she was prepared. In her pocketbook, a harmless-looking lipstick, which really contained a powerful man-stopping aerosol propellant. It's not like it was in our grandmother's day. Today, just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences. The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States, and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick so no one will suspect a thing, which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. Inside this innocent looking lipstick is the same powerful stuff used by police and the military to disarm even the most powerful armed aggressor. In fact, National Park Rangers use the very same formula that's inside this little lipstick 
to stop 2,000 pound vicious grizzly bears dead in their tracks. It's like carrying a personal bodyguard with you in your purse or your pocket. Darkness brings danger. Muggers and rapists use darkness to their advantage. We all know what it's like to be walking at night and hear footsteps coming at us from behind. Who's there? If it's somebody bad, will you be protected? Your life may depend on it. My friend Katie's close call needs to be a wake-up call for all of us, myself included. Pick up a lipstick bodyguard and keep it with you always. Were you ever young? You're listening to Parents Are Hard To Raise. Now, thanks to you, the number one elder care talk show on planet Earth. Listen to this and other episodes on demand using the iHeartRadio app. iPhone users can listen on Apple Podcasts and Android users on Google Podcasts. Want a great new way to listen to the show? Have an Amazon Echo or Dot? Just say, Alexa, play Parents Are Hard to Raise podcast. Getting the latest episode of Parents Are Hard to Raise. Here it is from iHeartRadio. It's as simple as that. You're right, Dolly. There are so many really cool new ways to listen to our show. It's hard to keep track. You can join the 180 million listeners on Spotify. You can listen in your car, at the gym, or pretty much anywhere on your smartphone. With Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, you can get us on Apple TV, DirecTV, Roku. And like Dolly said, you can even ask Alexa to play the show for you. It's great because you don't have to be tied to a radio anymore. You can listen when you want, where you want, for as long as you want. And if you're listening to the show in one of these new ways, please do me a big favor. Share this new technology. Help someone else learn about the show and show them a new way to listen. Caroline, we were talking about um, your wish list and... One of mm-hmm. uh, the big problems here, which I noted on your list, number one, transportation is, is very difficult and it's costly. And I, I imagine you have the same problem. Yes, uh, absolutely. And um, driving my husband to I actually had appointments almost every day, either with uh, the community care people or a specialist or a doctor and getting him in and out of the car was a real challenge. I should mention that my husband is six foot 10 and I'm barely five foot two (laughs) on a good day. (laughs) So managing him, uh, getting him in and out of the car, um, giving him a bath and anything like that, moving him around from, you know, a bed to a chair was always challenging. So uh, yeah, getting uh, out, and it takes so long to get him out to the car, go to the specialist, and then get him in the car and back home again. It takes a big oh, chunk sure. out of your day. And parking is expensive around oh, hospitals. Yeah. I mean, it used to be free to park in the hospitals here, and then all of a sudden everybody's charging. <laughs> yeah, it is and it's expensive. expensive. Another problem, rehabilitation, people don't realize it's a unique space, as you say, in the healthcare system. Yes, absolutely. Um, And whether you have it at home, or you have to go out and have your rehab, uh, there's a lot 
to think about with regard to that and whether or not the caregiver is going to be able to participate. Uh, because sometimes they ask at home when you have a caregiver at home to help with the exercises right, yeah. and stuff. But there again, they don't uh, consider whether or not the caregiver has a life of their own or they're capable of doing it. Like I could not lift Bill. We, the first time I gave him a bath, that was just uh, such a disaster. I can imagine, sure. <laughs> and no one probably trained you on how to do it, you know, right? <laughs> no, no, no one ever. And, you know, people look at us all the time and go, wow, look at that height difference. But no one ever said to us, wow, how is she going to manage at yeah. home with him? Like he's on crutches and he has his leg in a cast. Uh, and one time I was pushing him in a wheelchair up a ramp to try and get him in the wheelchair access door and I could barely push him up because he weighs sure. like 220 pounds and people were looking at us going oh my gosh look at that little sure. woman trying to push him but no one <laughs> no one thought of well maybe uh, I, could get I know it, you know I, I don't know that's a visual for you there. I, I, I mean it's it, it's crazy Krista, I wanted to ask you, what difference are you seeing through the caregiver programs that you've been involved with? Yeah, so at the Change Foundation, we've got four partnerships uh, across Ontario where we've identified people and organizations that really understood this, the role of the caregiver and really wanted to work with them differently. So we've been working with them um, for about two years. And I think the biggest thing um, that we see is just that uh, um, ownership of the caregiver role. So they feel yeah. proud of being a caregiver and, and they feel um, respected yeah. and valued when they're asked their opinion um, at the doctor's office. And they feel like they're entitled to ask for the education or the training or the information that they need in order to be successful at home. And so you just sort of see this. Um, instead of being a bit buried and, and, and weighed down by it, they embrace it a bit more and then also can be much more proactive in asking for what they need. And I think one of the things that we see a lot is that people don't say, oh, um, you know, my husband had a stroke yesterday. I woke up today and now right. I'm a caregiver. It doesn't, like, it doesn't yeah. work like that. You know, <laughs> it takes weeks for people to yeah. think, wait a second, Sure, I'm his spouse, but now suddenly I'm in this role where I'm I'm taking on much more of a caregiver role. And so, you know, people don't think about what do I need to do differently as a caregiver? What do I need to ask for or what's available to support caregivers? But when we see these four programs happening in Ontario where we're really empowering caregivers and partnering with them as real yeah. partners in the healthcare system, you see a different kind of interaction and a different kind of um, almost self-advocacy and ownership of the role, but that allows them to get what they need. Uh, and so that's been really powerful and very um, emotional and moving for a lot of people involved in the programs. And one big issue for all of us is um, to look after ourselves, you know, realizing that that's just important, mm -hmm. just as important as taking care of uh, you know, your mom or dad. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I would say that it's one of the most important things. It's not a nice to have. And, and uh, as a caregiver, you shouldn't just think, well, I'll do it tomorrow and then tomorrow never comes. It's absolutely critical that you recharge your batteries every single day. 
um, because you will get burned out, you will get exhausted. Um, and that's when mistakes happen. Uh, people get angry, yeah. they get depressed. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it really takes a toll on you and emotional. It's right. not just the physical toll, it's the emotional and the spiritual. Uh, and the patient is being looked after because it, they've got doctors and nurses and everybody around them. But the caregiver also needs support. And it's so important for the caregiver to recognize that in themselves and make sure that they get you it. You know, it's funny. Like I said, I've been in healthcare, you know, 36 years and suddenly and I'm really not a hands on caregiver for my mom and dad. I mean, maybe twice a week I am. I do a lot for them, but um, I'm managing all their doctor appointments and we're taking them to the doctor and I'm going shopping for them and I'm helping my mom bathe and, you know, meals and just making sure of all the, all these things, helping my dad, you know, pay bills. And I, I just keep going and going and going. And then mm-hmm. I'm driving into my office today and I'm just, you know, I, I'm feeling so sad, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and I'm thinking, well, why am I sad? You know, they're, 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 they're doing okay. I'm, do- but it just, you, you need that emotional support it just kind of hits you you know mm-hmm. they're in the hospital if something happens they fall and something happens and you say okay I'm helping them out and you don't realize maybe how long it may be that you'll you'll be doing this you know or mm-hmm. or suddenly maybe you do realize it and you're saying how am I going to do it and I, I'm not quite sure what was going on in my head this morning when I'm driving there you know <laughs> but I just felt so sad you know and I guess I mean, and like you said, um, Carol, you know, you fell into depression and, and it just kind of happens. Mm-hmm. So we we really do have yeah. to take care of ourselves. Yeah. And you don't even see it coming. I didn't see it in myself. Other people saw it. I knew there was something wrong with me because I was either crying yeah. or angry. Um, but other people saw it and made sure that I got some help that but it was after five years. Oh, that's like, a long, that's time. A long yeah, time. Yeah, to go. So, but with your parents, you know, it's hard. It was hard for me to yeah. ask for help and not ask my children because that just seemed wrong. It's usually us helping them. So, you know, I think for yourself, it might be the role reversal that's that's yeah. challenging. Mm-hmm. And I, I think even though we know our parents are aging and they're not going to live forever. And, but it felt like, Oh my God, you know, it just happens all of a sudden. And then it's like a moving train. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) I think that we get very task oriented when we're caregiving. Like, you know, you're talking about taking your parents to appointments and you're talking about, you know, making sure they get to the right place at the right time. But the the opportunity to actually step back and realize that, you know, you've done done this for three months and what is what does the future hold? You know, those are the moments I think it really hits us. Um, And I certainly have that in my own caregiving uh, experience where I care for my dad who has uh, early onset dementia. And, you know, I can do all the things like show up the doctor's appointment and I can be very organized and I can ask the right questions. But it's often when I'm in alone in a car that it sometimes hit me like this is this is my dad's never going to be the same again. And this is this is the best it's going to be. 
and how do I make the most of it? And how do I manage the guilt of not spending enough time with him while he's still able to? And yeah. you know, all of those pieces um, wear down on you. And I think the one thing I would I would say around Carol Ann's experience and what you were just talking about, our research shows that people don't reach out for help as a caregiver until they burn out. And uh, so yeah, I, what we're seeing is a difference in the programs that we're implementing is that because healthcare professionals are being proactive in connecting with caregivers yeah. and referring them to programs early on, they're also getting support earlier than they would have before. And that, I think, might be the biggest legacy of some of these programs that we're working on. I definitely think so. Yeah. Recognizing the role and respecting the role yeah. is also a big part of it because you're not always fighting to be heard, which is exhausting. Mm -hmm. you, yes, it is. It is. Thank you so much, Carolyn and Krista. Um, your website, could you tell us your website? Yes, it's changefoundation.ca. And I know you'll be back. We're going to have you back on future shows. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It was so great. Thank you so much for your interest. Parents are hard to raise family. Keep sending your emails and questions. You can reach me at Diane at parentsarehardtoraise.org or just click the green button on our homepage. Parents are Hard to Raise is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music New York, New York. Our New York producer is Joshua Green. Our broadcast engineer is Well Gambino. And from our London studios, the melodic voice of our announcer, Miss Dolly D. We love our parents, but parents sure are hard to raise. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time, may you forget everything you don't want to remember. And remember everything you don't want to forget. See you again next week.